Welcome to the audio podcast ministry of The Bridge. In all that we do, our priority is to lead all people from all places to be all in with Jesus. We hope that by providing this message in this way, it will be an encouragement to those of you who have already decided to follow Jesus, as well as a way home for those of you who have not yet said yes to Him. You can find out more, as well as support this ministry, by going to bridgeclarksville.com. When I was a child, uh, we already had in place in our family uh, uh, the practice of praying together, whether it was before a meal, whether it was before we went to bed. That was just a thing that we did. Both of my parents were followers of Jesus. I'm so thankful that they were in that position and they were willing to share and love on me and show me what Jesus' love was like. And praying was a part of it. And my dad usually prayed before the meals. And I think we thought our food would be cursed if we didn't. Uh, I think it's, it's more of a tradition that at some point, we understood that, but, uh, but it was what we did. And when my dad wasn't there, my mom would usually pray, but every now and then she would ask me to pray. And there was one particular lunchtime that I remember as a kid, I guess I was eight, nine years old, something like that. Um, and my mom said to me, would you pray? Would you ask the blessing for the food? I didn't budge on that. I said, fine, okay, I'll do that. And we went to pray. And I don't know that we folded our hands and all that stuff, but it's a good visual for now. But anyway, we were getting ready to pray, and it was my sister, my mom, and me. And right before I opened my mouth to pray, the phone rang. And I kind of one-eyed look at my mom, like, do we? And she kind of nodded, like, go answer the phone. So I got up after I'd been ready, and I picked up the phone. And maybe you can guess what I did. I picked it up, and I said, dear God. And I <laughs> realized in that moment that... I had just embarrassed myself to no end because truly, dear God, what in the world had just happened? I I picked up the phone. Instead of saying hello, I said, dear God. And I laid it down and in some way walked away and said, Mom, you can handle whatever's on the other end because I am embarrassed beyond belief at this point. I didn't know if it was my girlfriend, if it was my my best friend, if it was someone down the road, if it was our preacher. I kind of hoped it might be that. I didn't know who it was, but regardless, like that that was not right. And it reminds me that when it comes to prayer, when we think about the idea of what's really going on in prayer, of how we're pausing and asking all of heaven to stop and pay attention to what's going on, we're asking the creator to give us his attention and maybe even give us his gifts, that somehow we have turned that into a habit into a ritual, into a phrase, into a group of words that are clumped together that mean very, very little to us. And somehow it's become a habit or a ritual, a tradition. It's something that we do. We say the same prayers over and over and over again. It's the same thing for the food. It's the same thing before we go to bed. It's the same thing when we wake up. It's the same thing before a test, the same thing before a meeting. It's the same prayer over and over. Not that we don't mean them, but we have somehow turned something so powerful, so special, perhaps the most overlooked weapon in our entire arsenal, and we've made it just a thing we do. Something that we feel like we're compelled to do. Something that if we don't do, it might not go well for us, and that is our motivation for praying. And Jesus entered into a culture that in many ways looked at prayer as a ritual, looked at prayer as a tradition, just as we often do as well. And probably there are times even now when 
it's not really going to happen. No one's going to pray, but you have trained yourself to do that. There are probably times in a worship service where you just bow, thinking, oh, this is when he prays. Well, maybe I don't. Maybe I pray later. Maybe someone else does. It just doesn't happen. Or you go out with some friends that you think, I think they're churchy people. Maybe they're going to pray. And so the food is there, and you're just kind of waiting, and you're not, you're kind of touching my fork, I'll put it back down. Like, I'm not sure if I can eat or if they're praying people or if we, you don't know, but you're just kind of anticipating it. And it's anything but what it was intended to be. And Jesus is showing up into a culture that's different than ours, but their perspective had shifted already through the years to the point where it was in many ways a tradition. So in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have this group of messages, or perhaps one great message, it's, that's debatable, and it's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And we started looking at it last week. And we get to this part in chapter 6, in which he's trying to help people understand what prayer is. And in verse five, he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So as he begins to speak about prayer, he first talks about the why of prayer and then the how, the motivation for praying before he talks about the method of how to actually pray. And as he begins, he says, when you pray, don't pray to impress. The purpose of prayer is not to impress. The words are not even that important. And they were in a culture where people were praying to be heard and praying to be seen and praying to impress. They wanted common, the religious leaders wanted common people to listen to them and almost get to a point where I can't even pray because I can't do it that well. I don't know those words. I just have my simple way of doing things. I'll let you do the praying and I'll just do the listening. Then it became, I'll let you do the serving and I'll just do the common stuff. You do the spiritual things, I'll do the worldly things. And the divide became greater and greater and greater so that when Jesus showed up, that was the struggle. Is he one of us or is he one of us? Is he a religious leader or is he a common person? We don't know because the divide is so great. And he, in a way, acts like us. He talks like us, but he knows things like them. So which one is he? And Jesus stepped in to say to everyone, when you pray, don't pray like this. And they knew that. There are verses prior to this about giving to the poor. He says, when you give to the poor, don't do it and sound the trumpet so that everybody else knows. Don't even let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. You just take care of things in secret and trust God to reward you. He says, and when you pray in the same way, don't be a hypocrite, which means masked person, masked individual. When you don't put on a mask and present yourself as one way when you know you're really another way, but don't pray to impress. And then he goes on in verse seven and says, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, when you pray, it's not important for you to stand there all day long and give your entire list of stuff and your back history and God knows what's going on. So when you pray, it's not just about impressing. You're not even praying to inform. And I think that's a part that culturally we get to, or we want to stop and say, oh, God, that's Chad. I don't know if you remember me, but uh, it's been a long time and here I am again. And we have all this preamble to what we want to say. And when God tells us that there's no place we go where he is not, 
He's watching us all the time. He's with us everywhere we go. At the end of the day, we turn and say, God, it's been a rough day. He just says, no kidding. Like, I've been with you the whole time. This was a rough one. We don't have to stop and say, well, this didn't go well, and then I went this, this didn't go well, and I was late to this, and then I turned left out of my garage. And I, no, He knows. He said, it's not about getting the information to him, because he's been there all along. He even knows what you need before you even ask him. So prayer is something more than informing God about our needs. Prayer is more than pressing the people around. And the people really knew this already. They had a whole catalog of prayers. They knew the scriptures. They had heard them. They didn't read them. They didn't have a copy of them in their hands, much less on their phones, but they were able to tell the stories. They had heard those. And I want to briefly run through the story of God at several points where they had examples of prayer. I don't expect all of these to be able to stick in your mind, but maybe just one of these moments, one of these stories, one of these instances in the story of God may connect with you and you'll hold on to it. So you could take some mental notes or even a literal note, writing it down so you can go back to it later and check this out a little more. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I was sitting where you are for the first 18, 19 years of my life, when I would take notes, it was easy because I had a big yellow highlighter that bled through my entire Bible and I had all these notes and I would write in the margins and now we don't do that as much. But there are still some of those moments that I go back to now and I go back to some old Bibles that I've had for 20 and 30 and 40 years and find those moments in there. I go back and maybe you'll find some of those today. But I want to share a couple of these prayers with you. In the book of Genesis, they knew about the story of Abraham and the time when God was going to bring judgment on an entire city because of how godless they were. And Abraham cared about people in the city, and he said, God, please don't do this. God said, I, I'm going to because there is no righteousness there. And then Abraham had a back and forth. What if I can find 100 righteous people? And God said, fine, okay, if you do that, then I won't, I'll withhold judgment. And there were not 100. Well, what if I find 75? And then what if I find 50? And Abraham had just asked God, would you spare the city if I can find 50 people in this massive city that follow you? And in Genesis 18, it says, Abram spoke up again and said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. So they had in their catalog of prayer moments like this when they knew that prayer had the power to stop God's hand of judgment from falling on people. They knew that. And yet by this time when Jesus showed up, prayer had just become a, I'll bow my head, close my eyes and listen to the spiritual people pray. And yet they've got moments here where common people are coming to God and saying, God, would you spare an entire city? And God's listening and God's withholding judgment because they pray. They had another moment a little later in Exodus chapter 33 when Moses was praying on behalf of the people and God says, I can't deal with these people anymore. And Moses is praying on their behalf saying, spare these people. They don't really grasp what's going on here and they need forgiveness and in Exodus 33, 17, the Lord said to Moses, man, I love this line, and I pray one day this will be true for me. He says, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. This verse follows me and sometimes even haunts me. 
I want so badly for this to be the response when I pray. When I'm praying on behalf of you or praying for God to move, praying for God to respond, praying for God to withhold judgment, praying for God to forgive, whatever the thing may be, I want God to look at me and say, I will do this thing that you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Because he knows us. And I hope that that's the case for you. Exodus 33. In Joshua chapter 10, we've got what I believe to be the most incredible thing that God did outside of the resurrection of Jesus in all, all of history. Joshua is leading the soldiers in battle, and they need a little more time. And in Joshua chapter 10, verse 13, after praying and asking for God to pause things, it says, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. God said, you need more daylight? I'll just kind of hold things in place here for a minute. Now, I know Marvel Universe enough to know that should have upset all timelines, period, throughout the entire history of man. Like that should, something's messed up there. And God said, I'll just hold this. I'll stop time literally for you. You prayed, you asked. I'm pleased with you. I know you. I'll hold this back. So we know that there's, there are moments here where God is willing to even suspend the laws of nature that he put in place in order to respond to his people's prayer. And then in Psalm 51, one of the most godly, God-fearing, God-honoring, God-blessing men in all of history made a huge, huge mistake. And he had an affair, he arranged a murder, covered it all up, and in Psalm 51, he's praying to God. He says, God, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. So here, they know that prayer even has the power to set things right and put them in right relationship with God. And there are times when the people that Jesus was speaking to about prayer had had to pray that prayer because they had no words. So broken, so crushed, they've got nothing else to say. Feeling so bad about themselves and where they've been and what they've gone through, they would just pray the prayers and songs of David. Then in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 14, Solomon's dedicating a brand new temple. And he also knows that he and his people are going to go off the rails at some point. He's talking to God about how things are going to unfold. And God tells him in chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll heal their sins, and I'll forgive their land. That's a promise that God's given to respond in that way to prayer. And then one final one, and I'll memorize this um, from the time, I guess I was in middle school. I remember going to, we called it a disciple now, and we still have the D now, the groups, and we're having that here next week. And in disciple now, I was a middle schooler, and I remember my leader telling me this was God's phone number. We all had to say it back. What's God's phone number? We, all of us 13-year-olds, Jeremiah 33.3. Three, like, I still remember that to this day. It was very cheesy, and I pray our student ministry never does anything like that, but it was the 80s. It was kind of a weird time. But I remember his, the, this being God's phone number. He says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. It's God's promise that we call out to him and he's going to return with wisdom. He's going to return with perspective that we don't have. God's people had this entire catalog and so much more. 
At all these prayers of God's people, they knew that prayer had the power to stop judgment. Prayer had the power to bring mercy. Prayer had the power to bring healing. Prayer had the power to even overcome some of the most heinous, worst sins that a single individual person could commit in his lifetime. And prayer had the power, ability, potential to actually turn God's wisdom around so that it was showered on his own people. And yet now, when Jesus shows up in Matthew chapter 6, The people are just sitting by and listening to all these flowery, wordy prayers from the religious and spiritual leaders of the day, and they're thinking, we can't can't do this. And Jesus said, that is not prayer. He says, those hypocrites, those who put on masks and are pretending don't get prayer. Prayer is not about covering up and masking. Prayer is about opening up and revealing. And ultimately, the true purpose of prayer, if we were to boil it down to its core, the true purpose of prayer is for us to align our lives with the purpose and plans of God's heart. That is prayer. More than getting, more than receiving, more than the ritual, more than the tradition, and all those things are, have their place. I mean, I, I went out to eat last night with my family and some friends, and we, we stopped and prayed before the meal. I don't think we would have choked to death if we didn't, but I just do it. I I don't know that my, I was teared up and praying these big heartfelt prayers, but I just do it. I'm not saying tradition and those moments, and even rituals, don't have their places. But it's more about what's going on in the heart because the core of prayer is me aligning myself with the purpose and plans of God's heart. If you have a car and it's out of alignment, try driving it for very long that way. You'll find out there is a cost to being misaligned. There is a cost to being out of alignment. There is a cost to you trying to pull your life one way and God directing you another way. There are times when I wonder why God hasn't answered my prayers and then I come to realize he has answered prayers. I've just been packing for a different trip. Like I think I want to go this way, so I need this and this and this and this and this. And God says, well, my plan is for you to go this way and you're already literally packed up, ready to go. You have everything you need for the road trip that I have for you. But for this little trip on the side you want to take, I'm not funding that. Figure that out. That's not me. I'm not for that. But I've got you ready and set for the trip you're on. And so through prayer, I realign. I realize the plans and purposes that God has for me and for us um, as a spiritual family, as a church. And then I begin to follow. So he went on then after he explained the why of prayer to the how. He gave us a method, if you will. And then verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Don't do that, thine is the kingdom business. That's not where we are. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Doesn't ring as well as to thine be the power and the glory forever. Um, my wife and I were talking about this um, the other night. She was in kids' ministry the week before, and I was making her feel good about not listening to me preach. And uh, so I was just encouraging her. And she's like, yeah, I wasn't in there. I was like, that's fine. 
And so we talked about it a little bit. And she said, by the way, why is it worded a little differently here? And if, if that's a thing for you, there's a long list of, of resources you can go to. Um, but it just depends on what the translation source was. And then some of the translations are from some ancient texts and some are from others. And they definitely complement each other, but they don't all have for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So don't get bent if you're reading and think you have a cult Bible. You don't. It's just there are times when the translation is it's not all there. And you'll find it in another one of the four gospels. So don't get bent there. But in Matthew, that's not what he has here. He says, and forgive others as, they've, uh, as you have been forgiven. If you don't forgive others, don't expect God to forgive you. So there's a model that we have here to follow. And several months ago, um, we talked about prayer. It was about six months ago. And I shared with you just some little phrases that I use to uh, have as borders for the prayer. Um, And I hesitate to ever repeat things, but then I realize like the shelf life of what I tell you usually has about, you know, four days. So if it's six months ago, you have no idea that you actually were listening and here and took notes and that kind of thing. Um, but what I'm sharing is, is just a framework. It's, it's just a body. You don't obviously have to follow it. But Jesus did not intend for us to say the model prayer every time we pray. He said, this is how you should pray. It's not necessarily the words Nothing wrong with praying this prayer. But he said, I want you to take it a step further. And so I want us to at least pull from it. And I want to give you just a brief little bit of framework. Because I don't know where all of you are in your walks with Jesus. Or maybe you're like my friend that I met in the first service. Doesn't even know what she believes. This was the first time in a place like this. So I don't know where you are with that. But I want to give you four phrases to hold on to. Uh, the The first phrase is to take a knee. When you pray... You take a knee. It's impossible almost to read our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, without just stopping and bowing. It's hard to stand up proudly say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You realize there's something different. There's a greatness of God factor. This is a time in prayer when we stop and tell God how great he is. And maybe for you, you're listing characteristics of God Maybe for you, you're listing names of God. That's where I've been lately, where I'm saying names of God. I have to look some of them up to see what they mean, whether it's Jehovah or Elohim or or names of God that those have used in the Old Testament, and I'll use those names and speak to him in that way. Just tell him how great he is. Not what he's done for me, but just tell him how great a God that he truly is. And maybe for you, that's something different. Maybe you're praying some verses. You say, well, how do you find all these things? www.google.com, names of God, will probably give you everything you need. It's funny how we can find anything, go anywhere, have any fact, and then we say, turn to Matthew. Well, how do you find Matthew? Like, it's not that hard. We've all figured this out. We have apps. We have, you can do that. You say, what if I get some cult website? Well, just delete it and move on to another one. Just, if you'll just find, search, Whatever it is, Bible.com will get you started. Just go there and begin to find what it is maybe that you can use as you tell God how great he is. But if you've been walking with Jesus for 20 or 30 years, you've probably got a catalog of ways to be able to honor him. But we take, take a knee. And posture is really important. There are times for me when I have to change because I'm just so accustomed to the setting. 
There are times when I'm alert enough, awake enough, on my game enough, where I can sit up in bed and start my day praying to God. Most days, I'm going to drift off and go, what was that? Where was I again? Like, I got to get up and move, and I need to be in a place where God's got my undeserved attention that he truly does, um, truly does ask for. So take a knee, and then take a bath. There are moments after a long day, and you know this, where you just want to stand in the shower with the water running down the back of your neck, and you could just stay there forever and ever. And there are times when we feel so broken about who we are and where we've been, we just have to bow before God and say, God, bathe me in your mercy and in grace. I need this. I don't even have words. And maybe you're praying the prayer, the psalm that David read or something else, but you're just asking God to show you mercy, to show your forgiveness, his forgiveness for you. Because you need that, you know you need that. Take a bath. And then the third thing is to say thanks. In the model prayer, there's not really a thing where he stops and says, thank you for your many blessings. He does say, ask for daily bread. You just ask for the necessities. But I know there are other parts of scripture and even teachings of Jesus where he talked about those who were grateful that came back to say thanks and the difference that that made. And so for me, it's stopping to make sure I just thank God for every little thing, for waking me up, for giving me a mind to be able to conceive, to be able to give me a heart that pumps blood, lungs that give me breath. And then I just begin to roll through all the different things that God has done for me, the people in my life. I thank God for some of you. Some of you I say for the prayer request part, but the others, some of you are just, you're my blessings and I'll count you by name and thank God for putting you in my life and the difference that you've made. There are moments that God has, has had for me that I just don't feel like I've adequately said thank you enough. And I, then I'll spend half my prayer just thanking God for my wife and my two kids. And, and then I get down into my dogs. I've even mentioned them a time or two. You just start this sea of God, you've done so much. And if you've ever hung out with friends that don't give you a chance to speak and like you open your mouth and they just keep filling the dead space. And you, then finally they go, did you want to say something? And you just go, "Never mind." Like, never mind, forget it. Like, that's how I feel sometimes in my prayers. Where at the end I'm thinking, and for me, God, nah, give me something to get me through the day. Uh, whatever you have for me, just provide, I'm good. Because you've done so much. And the last thing is to say, please, because he does ask us. He says, tell me what you want, what you really, really, anyway, tell me what you want. <laughs> he says, sometimes you have not because you don't ask. If you seek, you'll find. You knock on the door, ask, it'll be given to you. I'll be there for you. So it's nothing wrong with asking. I've had some very needy moments in my own life. This past week, there's a lot going on with people that I love my brother-in-law had his, most of his stomach removed this week and a tumor removed. I mean, just lots going on where I'm, I'm on my face before God asking for help. I'm not going to apologize for asking for things, and God wants us to. But it does make all those other little selfish things move further and further and further down my list. So I don't know where you are in your prioritizing of your prayers I want you to know it is the most overlooked and underutilized weapon you have. There's spiritual warfare going on all around us. And the thing that is going to perhaps bring in the victory will be your commitment to praying, to pushing back all that the evil one has there. And there are lives around you that are going to change if you'll be willing to commit yourself to praying for them. Over the last 20 minutes, some of you probably should have spent the entire time praying because there's someone sitting around you and you can tell they have gone through it. And you notice it. 
And perhaps this entire time, you should have just been praying and praying and praying and praying because you may be the only one willing to fight for them, to fight for their soul and to fight for their peace. And so I want to encourage you, if you have just laid something down because you've just given up on it, it's time to pray it back up, to lift it back up again. Thank you for joining us today. If you live in the area, we hope you will soon join us in person. If you were unable to do that, we hope you will continue to stay connected with us by following this podcast and sharing it with your friends. For more information, go to bridgeclarksville.com.